Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. I have not called for the harm of anybody. This president has lied again. And so our members of the Democratic caucus are talking about civility, and that makes good sense. But protest is civility. Protest is about peaceful resistance uh, to the kind of actions that we're experiencing from this president. This president will try to do everything to divert eye attention. He calls me names. He calls everybody names. Uh, as a matter of fact, we expect that from him. I've said nothing like that. Right. I've you- talked about peaceful protest. Right. Oh, really? It's okay? If, if part of peaceful protest is stopping Stephen Miller from going to a restaurant, Nielsen uh, family from eating at a restaurant, uh, stopping uh, Pam Bondi from going to a movie, Sarah Huckabee Sanders from having dinner with her family, I'm not okay with that. And it shouldn't be okay if Republicans did it to Democrats. I just think people are allowed to do their job. People are going to have an opinion, but you're also allowed to live your life or else nobody's going to be serving in government. And by yeah. the way, I'm worried about the safety of everybody serving oh, yeah. publicly. It right dramatically now. increases the chance of violence. And you know what the conversation is now amongst our lawmakers? If someone does this to you, how are you going to handle yourself? Don't react. Don't throw a punch. Don't, I mean, that conversation sure. shouldn't be had. And she, we saw those happening, all, Sarah Huggy Sanders, all that happened. And then Maxine Waters has that, that, that presser in L.A. Right. and says, continue it. Wow. Welcome to the show. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's great to be with you. We have two great guests for you today, RNC spokesperson, national spokesperson Kaylee McEnany and Dr. Kenneth Barnes are going to join the program. Dr. Barnes is an author and chair at the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and the author of Redeeming Capitalism. He'll be on with us in hour two. (coughs) Excuse me. And we will be having a ton of great information for you today to include... Um, some details on uh, the continuing saga with Maxine Waters. And uh, I, I, feel, I feel the need to, to kind of clarify, and I'm going to, um, why I feel like her statements are so dangerous and why there's been so much of a, a backlash against them, so much so that she was on TV crying. And um, there, no doubt in my mind she's taking this seriously because she's heard from Democratic leadership and they're publicly denouncing her statements. So we're going to get into that. We also have a bit of a discussion about the media at large kind of saying they want civility while using the worst kinds of language against their opponents and the supporters of their opponents. And then uh, a bit of schadenfreude, if you will. We Christians aren't supposed to engage in that, but we definitely have a story that describes what has happened to a staffer who yelled an expletive at President Trump on Capitol Hill um, who's been suspended. So we'll talk about that. First, let's listen to MSNBC talking about the harassment of Trump officials as a tool to avoid genocide. Is all of this fair game in your opinion? Is all of this fair game in your opinion? Absolutely. This is a time for moral and ethical courage. It's not time for courtesies. And what this administration's doing, along with its surrogates, who so boldly lie every day, whether it's the press secretary or the secretary of Homeland Security, demands, demands some public uh, response that's appropriate. And my understanding was she was asked not to serve, uh, not to be served, and she left quietly. So I'm all in favor of that because let's not forget what happened in Germany when people were silent, Cambodia, Rwanda, and now Miramar with the Rohingyas. Too many people are being silently complacent. Sure, Michael Singleton, Peter Emerson, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. 
So at what point did enforcing our immigration laws in the same way that they were enforced under previous presidents become similar to the genocide of Myanmar or Rwanda or the silent acceptance and complicity of, uh, you know, Germans during the, the rise of Nazism? Do you see how starkly different those things are? Nazism, which ended up killing not just Jewish people, but people, really anyone who wasn't an Anglo-German, who couldn't prove their German ancestry, they were simply carted off in wagons and gassed. Some of them were experimented on. Their skin was used to uh, make shoes and lamps, uh, lampshades and things like that. It was It's the worst of the worst. I mean, and there's so many instances in human history where the depravity of man is on full display. And these, I'm sorry, these nincompoops, these people who are incapable of stringing together coherent thoughts are actually comparing border enforcement where people who come from backward third world countries are housed in beautiful air conditioned, uh, you know, with beds and bathroom facilities and the children are taken care of and even the parents are living in relative luxury in comparison to the poverty that they've escaped. They've broken our law by entering the country illegally and we're literally putting them up in situations that we Americans wouldn't want to be imprisoned uh, under border enforcement. But if you're coming from a third world place like these people are coming from, living in air-conditioned, it's safety, air-conditioned safety with three meals a day, access to computers and iPads, et cetera, and, you know, shower facilities and bathrooms. I'm sorry, if you don't want to be housed in these facilities, then do not approach the border illegally. You want due process. A part of that is you awaiting that due process in prison. A luxury prison by any, you know, stretch of the imagination, but still, that's what it is. And so we hear them, again, you're conflating one horribly genocidal, horrifying, just almost, it's, it's, it's hard for us to even fathom sitting around, going to work and doing the things that we're doing while people are being carted off in cattle cars and being experimented on and gassed. But no one's being killed. So the comparison is not just flawed, it's ridiculous. But it's that kind of language. And people think, wow, our government is behaving like Hitler. I really should do something about this. And it's only a couple more irrational thoughts from there to what we saw in the baseball mound. What we saw when a a Bernie bro decided he was going to take some senators out because these Republicans, they want to push grannies off cliffs and, you know, they're horrible to children and, and the weak and the elderly. They were told that. All of the Bernie bros were told that by Bernie Sanders. And this guy took it too far. So, yeah, I, I, I found the audio clip on Mediaite. And the reason why Mediaite had it up is because they want to demonstrate that this is legitimate. Yelling people out of movie theaters is legitimate. Now, let's talk about this a little bit further because there's more to the story with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She didn't share it in the briefing room when she was talking about what happened over the weekend. And everyone's victim blaming. Well, she used her work account to tweet out the story so she could bring all kinds of cane down on the lady who threw her out of the restaurant. Actually, she was responding to multiple media requests for comment. And she responded from her official account because 
she is the press secretary of the United States, and that's what happened to her. And it happened to her was work-related. Victim blaming doesn't work for anyone. No one who's seen this story believes she did anything wrong because she was simply sitting down waiting to be served, and they had a cheese board in front of them. It's not like she's not immediately identifiable. If the servers didn't want to serve them, they could have said as soon as they sat down and had, they had their menus and they took their drink orders, when they brought the drinks back, instead of bringing drinks back, they could have said, we can't serve your party. And of course, it would have still had the same reaction, but they give them the cheese board. They let them order a bunch of appetizers and get their drinks and then decide that everyone can stay except Sarah Sanders. She needs to get up and leave. And that's supposed to be okay with Americans. There's a, there's a huge uh, divide in this country. It's partisan. It's ugly. It's rancorous. But it doesn't involve your private time. And for people who can no longer differentiate between legitimate protest time and people being at home with their families, you don't protest at people's houses. You protest at their place of work. You protest at the government building where they work. You protest at the corporate building where the, the, the item that you disagree with is occurring. You don't protest at a person's home. The reason why you don't do that is because they have families and you don't want someone protesting at your home. But the people who are doing this don't seem to have the ability to flip it on the other side and say, would I want this to happen to me? Would I want someone to show up outside my home and start blaring sirens and, you know, sounds of whatever they think will make me feel terrible? Obviously, there are other concerns as well. See, they're lucking out because most of these people who work for the Trump administration who they're protesting at their house, they live in these um, semi-public areas. They live in townhomes and apartments where it's private property, but it's kind of in the public domain. There are people who live on private streets, meaning the street that they live on is owned by the people who live on it, which means the minute you step onto it and you're not invited, you're not a guest, you're trespassing. And then lots of different rules apply. And they're not in your favor. So the idea that these people are being validated and spurred on and encouraged by Maxine Waters, who is now, she's not really walking the comments back, but she's trying to make all of us aware that no one's really upset with what she said. They just want to clarify, which I don't think is accurate. Then we have, these are additional considerations, additional factors. So we've got this, basically MSNBC panel of guests They're saying that harassment of Trump officials is a tool to avoid genocide, which is completely ridiculous. It's an utter lie. It's a falsity. It's on its face, completely and utterly not true. And they go on to continue what I've now termed shame splaining. So let's add that to the lexicon of the Stacey on the Right show. You know, moving on. We got scratch a scandal, find a Democrat. And now we have shame splaining. It's number five, six, number six. There is a real conversation here about civility, right? And our ability to be in the same spaces at the same time with people who we do not agree with. And the Sarah Sanders example is one of those where, was that the right way for the owner of that restaurant to handle uh, the situation of Sarah Sanders eating in that restaurant? Well, it's definitely not going to further the conversation in between Republicans and Democrats for her to do that. However, the counter is, 
was Sarah Sanders using her White House account, her at press secretary uh, Twitter account, to basically rally the anger against this restaurant in Virginia? Was that a proper use of her function and her title and her job as well? Neither of those things gets us any closer to being people who can actually talk about issues in the same room together. Um, but it does really point to kind of where we are, which is uh, it's an example of how divided we actually are. And it's scary that we're that divided. Okay. The other piece of this is that it doesn't frighten the White House or Republicans mm -hmm. to have these protesters show up. In fact, there's there's some evidence that part of the reason Donald Trump was able to turn the primaries significantly against Ted Cruz when he was, was because some of these protests against Trump happened and Republican voters said, we want to support whoever is getting protested. So especially on the right, especially among the president's base, these kind of protests result in sort of a conservative backlash that the White House likely believes could be politically useful to them. Okay, a couple things. Uh, four, like four things. Okay, so first of all, it's not that any old Republican voter sees someone getting protested and automatically supports that person. Republicans didn't automatically support Roseanne Barr when everyone was angry at her about her, her tweet that went out. In fact, it was a roughly divided into like thirds people who just didn't care people who thought she was had the right to tweet whatever she wanted. She was off work and people who thought the comment was offensive and refused to defend it. It is absolutely the most uh, basic kind of underlying insult that that woman just leveled at everyone who supports anybody, but a Democrat that we don't need policy or any kind of reason to support someone. No one looked at Donald Trump's website or his platform. No one listened to the speeches and the rallies. No one looked at the 100-point plan and said, I like that better than, say, this one or that one. No, everyone was just like, he gets the most protests, so we're supporting him. He's the one that the left hates the most, so we like him the most. There are people who engage in that kind of knee-jerk reactionary decision-making, but the most of the masses, 64 million people who came out to vote for someone besides Hillary Clinton, there are at least 10 reasons I could rattle off right now, and none of them are Donald Trump got the most protests. The Antifa movement went out, and part of them were directed from the Hillary Clinton campaign. You guys remember when this story broke? And these people were out there to rough people up and make it look like the Trump supporters were racist by beating up on people of color at Trump rallies. So it wasn't even Trump supporters who were mixing it up and getting into these huge dust-ups at, the, at the, the rallies. So how can we believe anything that they say? So uh, uh, just a couple more things. Really? Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is just as wrong as the lady who threw her out of the restaurant, and that's why we can't have a civil conversation? I don't think so. I don't think so. They followed her. The owner of the restaurant followed her to the next restaurant. Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her husband drove home. And her extended family, most of which are liberals from her husband's side of the family, were eating at the restaurant across the street and they were getting protested there. And one of the family members came out and said, we're libs just like you and you're embarrassing us. We don't work for the president. Isn't that something? Maybe that's part of why you see people supporting the president instead of the media on this thing. I don't know. We can make up our own minds, can't we? We'll be back with more after this. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for a healthcare plan, or more importantly, if you signed up for a plan that you're just not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. 
MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing program. It's been around for 25 years. They have hundreds of thousands of members all across the country. And get this, over the years, MediShare members have shared more than $2.5 billion of each other's medical bills. Best of all, you could save a lot of money with MediShare. The typical savings for a family is about 500 bucks a month. Your savings may be less or more, but think about what you could do with that extra money every month. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. You can join MediShare anytime, so call them today and check it out. Here's the number to find out more. There's no pressure. They're super easy to talk to. Just hit star star 345. That's star star 345. Star star 345. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I have a friend who was greatly wronged by a man he respected and trusted. He felt used and manipulated. Soon bitterness took residence in his heart. The more he thought about what this man had done to him, the more he despised him. In fact, he struggled with hatred toward him, and it became apparent to all around him. You know, associating with people means we run the risk of being offended. God's going to hold that person responsible for what they do, but he also holds us responsible for our reaction. We're never free to repay evil for evil. To hate or despise someone is to commit murder in our hearts. In fact, that's one of the things that God says he hates in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. The text says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. There's a broader principle here. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. I doubt that there are too many of us that are going out there trying to shed someone's blood. But perhaps we have done that in our hearts. Perhaps our attitude toward the mistreatment and manipulation we've experienced has driven us to think things that are not right and to harbor hatred in our hearts and mind. Or we might be the individual who intentionally is going out to use someone, to deceive someone, to manipulate them. God hates mistreatment of the innocent. Furthermore, hatred is a form of murder. We don't want to go there. Sometime you may want to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Cry out to God to help you forgive and love those who have hurt you. Don't abuse, mistreat, or manipulate people. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Thank you for being with us today. I'm, I'm, I'm really incensed by the refusal of many people on the left to simply say that what Maxine Waters is calling for, the public vilification of people for where they work, that that's wrong. I mean, people who don't agree with abortion don't run people who support abortion out of public spaces. There are plenty of things that are much more repulsive than this current issue that we engage in on a regular basis in this country that we don't run people out of public spaces for. So the idea that we're going to somehow now suddenly see this as a legitimate resistance movement, a way of pushing back against the Trump administration, attacking people in gas stations and parking lots, verbally assaulting them in groups, accosting people, chasing them down the street as was done to Pam Biondi, not just her, but people who were with her, that that's going to be accepted. 
I can see why someone who I, I find him repugnant for his political beliefs, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, someone that I disagree with very strongly, even the two of them had to stop a moment and say, wait, this is something we cannot accept. Because if it's good for Trump supporters, at some point it will be good for people who are on the left. Anyone can be accosted in, by a group and run out of a, a public place. That's not what we do in America. It's not legitimate protest, and it can never be defended. So when I hear people defending it, it incenses me, and I have to speak out about it. And I, I feel that speaking out is the most legitimate form, besides going into the voter booth, speaking out much, much better than seeing someone pumping gas and deciding they shouldn't be able to pump gas. That's not acceptable. That's actually infringing on their right to move freely about the country. And I don't see it going anyplace good. So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome frequent guest of the show, RNC National Spokesperson Kaylee McEnany. Kaylee, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, I'm so excited about this. Um, This is vindication for all of us who felt the president was exercising his duly and, you know, properly given authority by Congress to control immigration in this country. And it was no problem when it was Donald Trump. And now when it was President Obama, it was no problem. Now that it's President Trump, it's a huge problem for him to exercise that authority. And the Supreme Court has ruled in his favor on what a lot of people have come to know as the Muslim ban, which is not exactly accurate, but you know what I mean. Oh, no. Have we lost you? Hey, Stacey, I can hear you now. You cut out oh, there for okay. a second. <laughs> I was about to say, no, we have we have heavy rain here <laughs> in Missouri. I don't know what's going on down in Tupelo, but we're, we're going to have to work with these different um, connections. So talk to us about the majority opinion that validates the president's right to control immigration. That's right. We knew that this was in his purview uh, and his power and his constitutional authority to do this. Nevertheless, there was an apoplectic sort of outrage from the mainstream media. I recall this because I was at CNN when the ban was announced, uh, or the travel pause is what I call it, and, and they were just outraged that the president was exercising his constitutional power to protect this country. Uh, we always knew that the Supreme Court would uphold this despite federal judges, liberal federal judges, um, not allowing it to move forward. So today was a big validation big victory for this White House and for the American people. And for the people who are calling this a so-called Muslim ban, it's nothing of the sort. In fact, it only affects six of the 49 Muslim-majority countries. Uh, That's a a very small number, obviously. So those other 43 Muslim-majority countries are not affected by this. There's no mention of faith and the travel pause. Uh, It is targeted at countries that do not have the adequate systems uh, to check the individuals coming to this country. So this was in the president's authority. He was right to do this. And today was vindication of that. So in the interim, because I, I remember covering this, you know, every time he would adjust the travel pause or adjust the countries that were on it to try to make sure that people understood, look, this is a safety mechanism. It's temporary. We're just trying to get our things together. Some liberal, you know, Ninth Circuit or some circuit judge would invalidate the ban or put a stay on it. And they would say, yeah, you can't pause it. You have to continue to allow these people in. So these people continue to pour into the country. Well, now does the ban actually go into effect or what, what happens because it's been so convoluted? 
Yeah, it does go into effect. And basically, there was a temporary restraining order put on the travel pause by a federal judge that was overturned, um, and that was overturned before today. So yes, this will be in full effect, and and it's a pause from from countries that um, are essentially hotbeds for terrorism and don't have a system by which you can check and make sure the people coming here are safe to come here. Um, and, and you know, I want to quote for you quickly to Obama intelligence community. Uh, heads. One is James Clapper, who said ISIS is taking advantage of the torrent of migrants to insert operatives into that flow, echoed by Jim Comey, who said, I cannot offer assurances that there's no risk associated with the Obama refugee program. These are Obama intel officials warning about terrorists posing uh, as refugees to gain access to this country. And President Trump reacted to that by putting in place this travel pause until we figure out what's going on. No one wants the kind of horrific attacks we saw at Pulse nightclub and elsewhere. We have to protect this country and this president uh, and putting this order into place and now no longer being blocked by a court is doing just that. So are there any other, because I I also felt like rogue judges around the country, Obama appointees, et cetera, who were really more interested in making political statements than doing their jobs, were taking turns, you know, kind of putting stays on any any iteration of this. So this is the actual official travel pause, the, the final travel pause that was issued. Are there any more intervening court cases or any other announcements that we have to look forward to in the next session of, of SCOTUS or anything like that pertaining to the, the pause? Not pertaining to the pause at the moment. I mean, I certainly uh, do not put it past folks on the left to try to come up with some new novel argument against it, but it seems like all of those have been worn out and tired, and this was the final validation of it. So, no, I don't anticipate any any more judicial decision-making on this, um, and, and the president can move forward and protect American citizens. But, you know, I would just pause to note how scary it is that a, a liberal federal court judge, I think out of Alaska it was, or, or perhaps it was Hawaii, uh, could could pause the, the program of, of a president to keep this country safe, could say, no, with the stroke of a pen, I'm going to restrain the ability of the president to restrict travel from countries where it's necessary. You know, that's a real national security danger when you have liberal judges um, politicizing what should be a process about national security and protecting United States citizens. So it's kind of troubling that, that lower court judges can, can do this. Um, and I think we all need to keep our eye out for it because it's happening more often than we'd like, where these judges become essentially legislators or executives and rebuking the president. Well, that brings me to um, a topic we've touched on many, many times, which is the November midterms and how important it is for people to turn out because part of the president's agenda is filling vacant court seats, uh, court appointments, and that is his purview as the president. And he needs more time to get that done because of how slow the Democrats have walked through his nominees and, and really gummed up the process of him filling these vacancies. No doubt. I mean, I think this is one of the most misunderstood elements of um, what a president does and how important it is, and that's judicial placement. I mean, for any of your listeners who care about pro-life values, who care about religious freedom, exercising your religion free from restraint by government, uh, the, the, you know, the travel pause, making sure that the president can exercise his power to protect this nation, all of that is either safeguarded or stopped 
by the men and women in our federal judiciary. So it is so important to place those judges, get them confirmed, get them through the Senate. And if we could get a few more Republican senators, you know, we could stop some of this backlog and really place in the judiciary men and women of integrity who respect the Constitution and who for a lifetime uh, can engage in conservative judicial thought and, and protect the values we all hold dear. So well put. I'm, I just I encourage people to think that through. And uh, the other thing that that really is, to me, interesting about them siding with the president, because I, I kind of felt like they would. But, you know, what do I know? There have been plenty of times where SCOTUS has come down. I'm like, what's this? And there's that it's precedent. They have reasoning behind it. They're able to do it. But in this case, I felt like it was a clear and obvious win coming down the pipeline for the president. Now that he has this under his belt, how, where, where do you see him going with the problem with the immigration issue? And it's, it's not really an immigration issue. It's an issue of our courts being backlogged from eight years of inaction and ineptitude by the Obama administration at our southern border. And now we have 600, 700,000 people in that backlog living in the country. We don't know where they are. We don't know who they are. And then we have the influx at the border now where Democrats have made this a public relations nightmare that children can't be separated from people who we don't know if they're their parents. How does the president work through that in the intervening moments between now and and when the campaign season really kicks off? Yeah, you know, this is tough because we really need congressional action um, on a number of fronts when, with regard to immigration. We, of course, need it to allocate the funding to build the wall to solve so many of our problems. Uh, this child-parent separation, none of us want to see that happen. Not even, you know, not the president, not me, not any Republican uh, wants to see that happen. But ultimately, it's in the hands of Congress to allow the president to, one, enforce the law, and two, keep families together. And the way you do that, Congress, is by passing legislation that rolls back part of something called the TVPRA, which does not allow us to uh, engage in expedited removal for certain classes of illegal immigrants. If you permit us to remove families together, to do so expeditiously, to do so uh, speedy uh, and indefinitely in consultation with the Constitution and due process, um, if you allow all that to happen, Congress, then we can enforce immigration law and do so in a compassionate way. But the ball is in Congress's court, and unfortunately, you know, we don't have Democrats willing to work with us. So, you know, the president's kind of, you know, between a rock and a hard place and having to enforce immigration law without the help and assistance of Congress. So that's why these midterm elections are so important. We need more Republicans. Mm, I, I'm you're OK. So dead on. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm what I'm hoping to see at this point is because um, the, the fever pitch and emotional rhetoric that we're seeing right now, the really kind of crazy talk that's been going on has just begun to fizzle out with Maxine Waters saying, you know, you got to harass these people in their public spaces. And Schumer and Pelosi have now come out and said, actually, no, we're not going to do that. We're, we're, so now that things will begin to calm down, um, hopefully no violence. We'll just move on from here to solutions. Um, do you see the Democrats even softening a tad or are they going to ride this dead horse into into the midterm? Well, I don't see them softening because that hardened leftist element of the party um, has really, unfortunately, become the face of the party. You know, you have Nancy Pelosi, who who represents the old, tired establishment that, 
you know, the, the party doesn't like, and certainly the nation's not a big fan of hers. And then you have the Maxine Waters, which represent the, the far left element of the party, um, making calls for violent action and altercation. And, you know, yeah, you've heard Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi come out and denounce her, but where are, where are the others? Where are the whole slew of Democrats coming out and saying, we stand against this, we stand on the side of peace. You're just not hearing it. Because mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, the president was right when he said she has become the face of the party. So, you know, we at the Republican Party, Maxine Waters, please go out and keep talking because you keep making statements that drive voters closer to Republican to the Republican Party because they like our values, they prize our values, and they certainly don't stand with violent altercation, which it seems like Maxine Waters was advocating for. It does. And I know she said that she wasn't, but the quotes are out there. YouTube's forever. Um, and so last question, I know your time is valuable. And, and for anybody just tuning in, we're speaking with RNC national spokesperson, Kaylee McEnany, frequent guest of the program, an expert. And we, my last question for you is really, um, so I guess, what's it going to take? Like we saw beautiful people. They just happened to be Republicans. That's not why they're beautiful. They're beautiful because they were innocent people on that baseball mound about a year ago and Steven Scalise and others were gunned down by a crazy Bernie bro who felt incited by things that Bernie Sanders had said. And then after that, everyone calmed down because it was clear that people had gone too far before that. It was the five officers gunned down by sniper fire when black lives matter was protesting and the rhetoric was crazy and there was a lot of violence. And then when that happened, people calmed down. Is that what it's going to take for people to calm down and realize that their rhetoric is absolutely unacceptable here? I hope not. I hope not, because none of us want to to see that kind of violence. I think, you know, and Maxine Waters, heart of hearts, I, I'm sure she does not want to see that happen. But, you know, there are repercussions to words. And when you say things like take out the president tonight, which is one of the things she said, I want to take out the president tonight. There are lunatics out there who hear that and see that as a license to act. And that is not something any of us should want to happen. We have to be careful with our words. We cannot go out and make calls like this that can be interpreted one way, even if she says that's not how she intended it. It can be perceived that way by a lunatic. So we all need to be careful and get back to that place where we can have a discussion with a member of the other party and be friends, because I have a lot of Democrats friends. I might not agree with them on a lot, but we're friends at the end of the day. And I think we've got to try to get back to that place uh, where we can all break bread together. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Kaylee McEnany, RNC national spokesperson. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, talk to you again soon. Thank you, Stacey. Appreciate it. All right. Um, we have now just a couple seconds left in this, in this segment. And we always appreciate when Kaylee has time to come and, and speak with us. She's frequently on Fox News and CNN and MSNBC. And so she's very, very busy. So it's always great when we're able to get her to come on, especially to talk about this ruling, um, which I honestly, I, of course, I was praying, but if I was also feeling like just based on what I'd read that the president was going to eventually win on this. But the problem is that they were able to create a narrative, people on the left, people in the media, that the ban was motivated by some kind of racial animus that the president has against Muslims. They don't pay attention to the fact that the president actually has a uh, diversity. It's the NDC, National Diversity Council for the Trump campaign and Trump administration. And it's nothing but black, Hispanic, Asian and people from the Middle East, uh, different areas of the Middle East. So multiple individuals from the Middle East. And they're on this council and they advise him on matters that are important. And they see no problem with doing that. 
so it's clear that they've met with him and they don't find him to be a racist. But still, we have millions of Americans who think he is. So I'm glad to see the Supreme Court rule this way, and I'm glad to see the president be able to implement another uh, arm of his strategy to protect Americans. When we get back, we'll have more for you here on Stacey on the Right. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. In the mid-1990s, I started doubting that I'd ever get a head coaching position. Minnesota Vikings chaplain Tom Lamphere counseled me just to keep my eyes on Christ and be the best assistant coach I could. He told me to follow the Lord's guidance. As Tony went into the 1995 season, he tried not to focus on his disappointment over two head coaching opportunities he didn't get. Instead, he got back to work with the goal of helping his team get to the Super Bowl. Letdowns like these are why God gives us good wives. I needed Lauren to tell me that she loved me and believed in me no matter what. Try to encourage your spouse today. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com We need you to call your senators today. Tell them to put an end to the liberals' filibuster, switch to a majority vote, and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121 or go to afaaction.net. Again, call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Did you know that the Centers for Disease Control did a study on defensive gun use by Americans? Probably not because the report destroys gun control talking points. A Florida State University criminologist didn't know either and did his own analysis which showed that Americans used guns to successfully defend themselves against attackers over 2.2 million times a year. This number is based upon an unweighted nationally representative sample of over 12,000 individuals. Data from the CDC confirms this result. In fact, CDC data proves Americans used firearms to defend themselves 3.6 times more often than perpetrators utilized firearms to attack them. This information was kept private by the CDC because it doesn't support the gun grabber's mantra that all guns are bad. Instead of hiding data, let's spread the truth far and wide. Lawful gun owners use weapons to defend themselves and others millions of times every year. Sounds like gun control to me. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. If you vote for Trump, then you 
the voter, you, not Donald Trump, are standing at the border like Nazis going, you here, you here. And I think we now have to flip it. And it's a given the evilness of Donald Trump. If you hold down the woman while the rapist is raping her and you didn't rape her, are you a rapist? Tens of millions of people voted for him after he showed his cards for years. But are you, so suggest, have, are you suggesting that they're racist or they're yes? The, yes. The, the, the people who vote, all the people who voted for Donald Trump are racist. Yes. Yeah. If Republicans weren't so racist, they could encourage black people who are morally conservative to be on their yeah. side. Those people who are supporting what he's doing here are racist, period. It's a movement and people that are speaking up for things, whether we're talking about civil rights movement, whatever else, those movements should be nonviolent, but they should not be non-confrontational. And so these policies that this administration is putting forth are intentionally cruel, they are racist, and it is, a, it is our job as citizens to speak out against that. Now, does that mean that we're going to be violent? No. But does that mean that Sarah Sanders can have a nice, quiet dinner with her family when she's taking our tax dollars to implement this policy, I don't think so. Anybody who votes for and supports a racist is a racist. You are culpable, white America. I'm sorry. Is it complicit or either you're enabling? Mm. Wow. So who was that? It was a montage, a montage of individuals uh, on the liberal networks saying things that sound like they're validating a desire to take your protests or your disagreement a step further a step beyond simply being upset. It's, it's okay because these people are like Nazis. They're like the people who hold someone down while they're raped. Do you feel like that as someone who's voted for Donald Trump, or maybe you didn't vote for Donald Trump, but um, do you feel like that for supporting abortion? Do you feel like that for um, advocating for sanctuary cities, which increase the crime and the probability that black children and, and families will be killed? Do you feel like you're, complicit in rape and murder and genocide? You probably don't. And that's because, you know, like it or not, that's not the way we do political discourse in this country. I may loathe your support of abortion, but it doesn't give me the right to run you out of a restaurant or a movie theater or to harass you while you're pumping gas. And I know that it's almost a crazy pants type of a world, upside down, bizarro world we're living in where that has to be explained, but here we are. We have to make that delineation. We cannot simply, you know, just leave it to rational thought for other people to assume. These networks have millions of viewers, millions of people a week tune into these broadcasts and hear these kinds of incendiary comments. The same people who said no hate with an aid in it, the same people who said war on women, the same people who started Me Too, the same people who have started all of these different movements that are supposed to bring civility and respect and tolerance for everyone. Remember my airplane tolerance problem? I got a problem with that term, but that's their, that's their, their baby. They're the same ones saying that, well, if you support the president, then you're supporting, it's Hitler. It's, it's, you're supporting something that is untenable. So I, what I'm looking for is for people to, you, you have to unplug your emotions and you have to say, this is wrong. I'm not going to participate in this. And if, if you think they were done, they're not. There's a little bit more. It's this media turning Trump voters into public enemy number one. Let's listen to number four. 
But you guys were involved with being patriotic, right? Very, very patriotic, but not... Being patriotic was the group that contacted and helped organize some of these activities that you posted on your own Facebook account. Th those were legitimate. Those were Russians. They were not Russians. I don't go with the Russians. Find out very clearly what his interests are. President Walker, how do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? 25% of the country, whether it's 25, 20, 30%, are hardcore racists. They do not want to see brown people coming into America. That's, that's just what's going on here. I mean, of certain individuals and institutions, we will, as per Chief Jim Hopper, punch some people in the face when they seek to destroy There are still generations of people, older people, who were born and bred and marinated in it, Oprah. in that prejudice and racism, and they just have to die. A lot of his supporters believe that we are the enemy of the yeah, American people, true. and that is really, really an awful situation. Uh, we are not the enemy of the we're American not. people. We love the American people. Uh, so the, at the end, you hear Wolf, Wolf Blitzer saying, we, people think we're the enemy of the American people. We're the enemy of half of the American people. The half who voted for Donald Trump, 30, 40% of the Trump supporters are racist at minimum. It's But really, it's all of them. Uh, they, they just all need to die. They marinated in that racist belief system, and now they need to die. Oprah Winfrey, someone who used to talk about on her show how she read a proverb a day and how she would move through the proverbs. Uh, every month, she read the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms. She'd read a few Psalms a day and one proverb, and she would get all the way through. This is a woman who used to actually refer to the Bible as the inerrant word of God and someplace that we could look to get wisdom and, and understandings. And there she is talking about, well, the, you know, people who are, she deems to be racist and they're old and they've marinated in those beliefs and they just need to die. I mean, who is she to decide who gets to live and who gets to die? It's this kind of crazy, um, you know, it's just, she's queen of the world. And the rest of us are just, we're just accidentally getting a chance to live in this joint, I guess. I mean, you know, completely discounting all of the minority individuals in this country who have voted for Donald Trump, who support Donald Trump. It's legion. I mean, look online at the number of people who support Donald Trump who are of color and also millennials. I'm always surprised by the new people that come into my Twitter feed or my uh, Facebook feed. And especially on YouTube, oh my goodness, the YouTubers that are black and conservative, um, it's pretty. It's a pretty astounding group. And so you look at that and you think about what they're saying there. They're validating hatred and dissension. And we cannot allow that to stand. We have to stand up against that and push back on it. And, and notice how they all sound kind of similar. Like the one you heard, he's, you know, we, we got to punch him in the face. He's actually an actor on Broadway. He was accepting an award, and he made that statement. It's just crazy pants. And, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, just I find it to be crazy that everyone is so offended. The same people who are saying these things are the same ones who are totally offended when Donald Trump said, get that guy out of here. He was a protest guy. He was mixing it up in the crowd. He would punched a black Trump supporter in the face. And the security people were removing him and Donald Trump said, get him out of here. D get him out of here. Can't believe that that low life loser is in here. And they were upset because Donald Trump called him a low life loser. They weren't upset that the guy was punching black people at a Trump event. 
perhaps because they felt like, you know, what, what good could they get out of that in the news media? So there were other Supreme Court victories today. And I want to get to another one that I felt like was just so, so important. And we had a guest on about this a few months ago to talk about this California law that forces anti-abortion crisis pregnancy centers. And that's, that's a misnomer in and of itself. I'm on the APnews.com website, totally liberal. Instead of saying pro-life, it's anti-abortion. I'm fine with it. Call me anti-abortion. I am anti-abortion. But they should be calling these pregnancy centers pro-life that provide information about abortion. So the SCOTUS said you can't force pregnancy resource centers to tell people about abortions. The 5-4 ruling also cast doubt on similar laws in Hawaii and Illinois. So far left is just having a not-so-good day today. The California law took effect in 2016, requiring centers that are licensed by the state to tell clients about the availability of contraception, abortion, and prenatal care at little or no cost. Centers that are unlicensed were required to post a sign that said so. The court struck down that portion of the law. The centers that were... So you got this pregnancy resource center. Usually, a woman at a pregnancy resource center has already been to Planned Parenthood. Oftentimes, they already have their abortion scheduled. How do I know this? Because we have a, a number of pregnancy resource centers in the metro area here in St. Louis, and I've, I've been to them. I've talked to the people who work there. I know the leadership at these centers, and I've been to their events where they talk about how many of the women that came in who decided ultimately to go through with their pregnancy and have a baby, how many of them were first at the Planned Parenthood? How many of them walked across the street from the Planned Parenthood office, the abortuary, to the medical van where they received the actual testing that they needed and referrals and then met up later with the counselor at the Pregnancy Resource Center and were given diapers and all kinds of prenatal care and then postnatal care and then care for the baby? They uh, also do parenting classes. So there's, there's all of this. There's, it's not just a Hey, don't have a baby. Don't don't have an abortion. You got to have this baby. Now get out there and make a way for yourself. It's help with rent. Pregnancy resource centers will pay the rent of the girls who come in and they've been thrown out of the house because they're pregnant. They'll find them somewhere to live. They will pay their rent. They'll help them outfit the apartment. They'll make sure they have the stuff they need for the baby. The minimum, the crib, car seat, booster seat. You know, all all the stuff that you need to set up a baby and it's expensive. There is no cheap way to, Hey, I'm having a baby. I'm going to set everything up. There's no cheap way to do it. But the pregnancy resource center gets you all of those things. You come in, you plug into them and they're also providing you with medical care, real medical care with physicians and nurses licensed to practice in this state with admitting privileges so they can get you into the hospital. If something goes wrong, this is the kind of care that pregnancy resource centers provide. They neither have the time nor the interest to tell people, hey, you know where you can get an abortion? Planned Parenthood. They don't need to tell these girls that. The girls already know that they can get an abortion. They're often coming straight from the Planned Parenthood. I interviewed a lady at a protest at Planned Parenthood who said she wanted to have an abortion so bad, she went to the Planned Parenthood three times, and the people in the office were so rude that she stood outside crying, and she thought, what am I going to do? I don't know any other place I'm supposed to go. But these people just don't seem like they want to help me. And across the street was the big, huge, it's, it's an RV that's been outfitted into a rolling medical center. She walked over and she, they opened the doors and she went in and they gave her water. They gave her coffee. 
They talked to her about her options. They gave her the pregnancy test. She already knew she was pregnant, but they gave her a pregnancy test. They did an examination and told her how far along they thought she was, made an appointment with her and started her on the road. And she was standing there talking to me about this with the baby that she was pregnant with. That baby was on her hip. Pregnancy Resource Center should not be forced to do this kind of stuff. And the Supreme Court agrees. Here's the statement. And it's first of all, Justice Clarence Thomas, in his majority opinions, that the centers are likely to succeed in their constitutional challenge to the portion of the law involving the licensed centers, which means while the law is currently on the book, its challengers can go back to court to get an order halting its enforcement. An attorney for the challenger said Tuesday they expect to be able to do that quickly. California had not actually been enforcing the law because it was moving through the courts. California cannot co-opt the licensed facilities to, to deliver its message for it, Thomas wrote for himself. Chief Justice John Roberts and Justices Anthony Kennedy, Samuel Alito, and Neil Gorsuch were uh, on, on the side of, of this ruling. He called the requirement for unlicensed centers unjustified and unduly burdensome. Of course, the others were predictably for the idea that the government can force you to tell people what other options are in your business. Can you imagine running a laser eye care center and the government tells you, yeah, we want you to tell people about how many different places they can get glasses. And you're like, well, they know they can get glasses. They already, they're wearing glasses. When they come in, they're wearing glasses. They want to come in and get LASIK eye surgery. And the government says, yeah, we know, but you can't just give them LASIK eye surgery. You have to tell them about all the different eye care facilities that exist to give them eye exams and give them contact lenses and glasses. You have to do that. You have to post signs for it. You have to basically advertise for these businesses. LASIK eye care centers would be understandably perplexed by any ruling that would force them to do that. Yet they were not perplexed at all in California, Illinois, and Hawaii when they were forcing people to tell pregnant women, yeah, I know you're now here and you want our help to have this baby, but make sure you know that you could just abort the baby and go on about your business. And here's where you could do that. I can't even believe a court ruling was required for this. So you've got that. Um, you also have, obviously, what has been termed the pause, the immigration pause. Um, and thanks to Kaylee McEnany for coming on and giving us that additional terminology that we could use. And the Supreme Court actually reviewed all of the documents and the statements made by the president. And one of the justices actually issued a little bit of... Uh, mm, he, basically, they don't endorse the president's provocative statements that he made about Muslims coming into the country. We express no view on the soundness of the policy, according to Justice Roberts. And they cautioned him to make sure and, and you know, use his office wisely in the statements that he issues. But his right to control immigration into this country is unquestioned and was just validated by the Supreme Court of the United States. What you going to do, libs? My email box is full of stuff from progressive organizations saying they want to send guests to the show to talk about how horrible this is. Whatevs. We have hour two up next. Stay there. <laughs> 